All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Sticks? What the fuck, Delics? What the fuck, Goldberry Thins? What was that about? Hey, I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. I was paying attention. I'm just actually making a note while I was doing it simultaneously. I was doing the intro that I've been doing for years and writing down a little something on a piece of paper. Uh, I just wrote wedding and I underlined it because I went to a wedding yesterday. Look, folks, how are you? Relax. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're enjoying your run. I hope you're okay at work today. If there's anything I can do to help you out, uh, if it's a hard day and you're sitting there with your second cup of coffee wondering how the fuck you're going to get through it, you're going to get through it. All right? Just keep it in the present. It, it'll it'll pass. You'll be done. You'll be able to go home. I don't know what's going on there, but I'm just telling you that time just keeps going, man. Hey, right on, man. Oh, yeah, let's plug some stuff, okay? I am going to be... If you're in Albuquerque, uh, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I'm going back to Albuquerque, New Mexico. I will be at the National Hispanic Cultural Center. That is a venue. I am not... Not that I have any... I I just don't want it to be... Look, I'm doing a benefit for this... uh, for this uh, endorphin power company, I believe it's called. It's a sort of a drug halfway house and whatnot, but I'm going back home. That is on May 31st. You can go to my site, WTFPod.com, and go to the calendar and get the, the info of where the tickets are. I'm excited to go back to Albuquerque. If there is a comedian or two in Albuquerque uh, that's got a pretty solid 10 minutes, uh, why don't you email me at WTFPod at gmail with a link to your 10 minutes i could use a couple openers out there all right comedians albuquerque comedians are you there is there a scene in albuquerque is there someone out there that could come do a few minutes uh to open the show for me please send some video wtfpod at gmail.com i'm gonna be at the wild west comedy festival in nashville tennessee on may 15th And I believe the plan is to interview Vince Vaughn in a one-on-one live WTF. And I was told you can go to wildwestcomedyfestival.com. It says that that's sold out. So, okay. So that's sold out. But I was told that I will be doing a show at Zany's. um, and And that's not on their website. That is not on the Wild West Comedy Festival website. I will be in Chicago, Illinois, Saturday, June 14th for the 26th Annual Comedy Festival. That is going to be a big show. I'm excited. I love Chicago. It's going to be me and my uh, my buddy Adam Burke is going to open for me. Go to WTFPod.com and go to the calendar and you can uh, you can figure out how to get tickets. Man, you better get tickets. That's a big fucking theater, man. That'd be cool if I sold a lot of tickets there. Thursday, June 26th, Saturday, June 28th. Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. That is a very small club. If you would like to come see me in a small club and you live anywhere within a 300 to 500 mile radius of the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, that's the place. I think that seat that seat's like 12. Where are we at? Jared Harris, a great actor. He was the uh, he he was on Mad Men. He played the British guy on Mad Men. Uh, he was in he, the first time I saw him. I didn't know who he was, but I knew. But someone told me who he was. Was in the movie Happiness. He plays the Russian cab driver guitar guy, and I was like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" And someone said, "That's Jared Harris." 
That's Richard Harris's son. I'm like, Richard Harris's son. Wow. That's got to have that got that's got to be a story. That was a long time ago and now I finally got the opportunity. We we were chatting. He's out promoting a movie he's in. It's a thriller called The Quiet Ones. I think is out now. But uh I needed to talk to him about himself, about his process, about where he comes from, about his dad. Cuz you know about you know about me and my dad. He sent another apology email. Now he now he's apologizing for being a dick um after you know i was a dick it's gotten very complicated you know i i imagine that i'm supposed to apologize but i'm too proud and too stubborn i will i will i will okay i'm going to albuquerque he's probably going to want to come to the show have you guys read this book the humor code i just got this book the humor code a global search for what makes things funny and i've been skimming it it seems to be pretty in-depth pretty interesting uh, I'm not sure what the angle is. I'm, I'm a little wary of these kind of books, but um, but this one seems to be... Have you guys read it? The Humor Code by Peter McGraw and Joel Warner? Because they're going to be on the show uh, very soon. But I got the book and I... Did you guys buy it? We, would someone buy the book, The Humor Code, Global Search for What Makes Things Funny and tell me uh, exactly where it's going? I need, I need a synopsis and an outline. I'll, I'll do it. I have time to do it, but I'm going to have those guys on the show, so maybe I'll, I'll do the research and fucking get in it. Anyways, look... I went to my buddy Brendan Small, uh, his wedding, to his lovely uh, now wife, Courtney, and I uh, want to congratulate them. Brendan's a great guy and a, and a pretty snazzy guitar player, as some of you know. I would not gone to a lot of weddings. I wasn't planning on going myself, but that's the way it played out. So I went to the wedding myself, and um, I got there, and I became famished immediately. It was, out, it was up in, uh, in uh, not, not all the way up in the wine country, but wine country... Santa Barbara-ish, Solvang, uh, Buellton area. And I just, and I was, uh, you know, a lot of uh, my friends were there. It was great to see everybody. And I just started, I couldn't understand why I got, I got famished. And I don't know if this is a common thing, but like right when they put the food out for the hors d'oeuvres, I just started shoveling food into my fucking face. And I did some hardcore emotional eating at this wedding. It makes sense now. It was very touching. It was very funny. My friend Craig Anton did the ceremony. It was great. And I just, I, I just ate away all of my regret <laughs> standing at an hors d'oeuvre table, shoveling salami and cheese, just jacking those cholesterol numbers to fill the hole of failed relationships. There, there's a hole in my heart that is filled with uh, garbage and it's and, and failed relationships. And now I just start. I'm going to top that off with some food. Mm-mm. Weddings squirted out a few tears. Very touching. I can do that. I will do that. And then as the evening went on, I never knew this um, about weddings, but I, I mean, I, I think it's sort of a known thing. I think I might have been the only single man there. And uh, it was it was it was kind of interesting as people got a little drunkier, as as some of the women got a little drunkier, uh, they became very forward, and uh, it was very interesting. And I ran away. I ran away because I am a solitary man, and I drove two and a half hours by myself. How great is that? How great is just driving? Do you remember when you could drive when there wasn't traffic where you could just get in your fucking car and drive? I hadn't done that in a while. I'm going to do it more. I, I, I always fantasize about doing it and sometimes when I do it, I'm like, why the fuck did I do this? But I, I drove up there two and a half, three hours through the hills, through the mountains, by the ocean, just like listening to some music. You know, I listened to Radiohead uh, in Rainbows 
and I listened to some Paul Butterfield. And I listened to some War on Drugs. I'm trying to get the hang of that record. It's okay. It's okay. Listen to some uh, some uh, um, Silver Jews because uh, I want to talk to him. And I just uh, relaxed, man. I wrote that is the classic, you know, great American meditative way. It's just get in that fucking car and lose your mind. Let it go away. Because you're grounded, man. Some part of you has to drive the car, but your mind can just go and can relax. You just watch the road. You look at the ocean. You drive fast. If you can, get away with it. I got pulled over on the way back in the dark. Piss me off. Piss me the fuck off. But you know what I know? I know they're always expecting you to be drunk. And I love being able to say like, yeah, I'm not drunk. This guy didn't even give a fuck. I think he just wanted to make his quota. But there is something bittersweet about being pulled over and knowing you're not drunk. But then if they still give you a ticket, you don't win. You don't fucking win, man. Okay. Uh, I think I'm, I'm on the verge of uh, making up with my dad. And certainly this conversation I had with, um, with Jared Harris, whose father is the great actor, Richard Harris, was very encouraging. I've been talking to a lot of people about uh, dads. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to lose him without. I don't want any of that garbage. I'm trying to get rid of garbage. You know what I mean? I'm trying. I, I'm going on a, a a small, intimate amends tour. I got some outstanding apologies that need to be done in private, and hopefully they will be received. Ah, oh, that fucking reminds me. I gotta gotta reach out and do that. To I gotta reach out. Look, some of you, you know, I carry that shit with you. I don't want to carry it with me. I've got knots in my heart, and I'm gonna take care of it. And uh, talking to Jared about his old man was, uh, was pretty encouraging. It's a great story. He's a great actor and a good guy. So let's, uh, let's talk to Jared Harris. So you worked with Iggy on Dead Man, Jim Jarmusch. Yes. This is a weird thing. Like I was looking at your stuff and you've been in a, you know, a, a lot of movies, but you're one of those guys. <laughs> that people go like oh there's that guy there's that guy and I, oh my god Wait. that was that guy in that thing yes yeah, he is the same is he the same guy who's in yeah, yeah. I know I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of uh, I mean it's kind of on purpose you know what I mean yeah I, I, um, I like it's like being different and everything I've done, but you know, it, you also—that's a risk because you have to wait for it to catch up with you, right? You know? and, and also, I think uh, for a while there, it must be nice to really. I was talking to my friend about this. Is that you're one of those guys that even if it's a shitty movie, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna light it up. You know, I mean, you got sometimes you got that five minutes, man. You're gonna knock it out of the park right there. Well, I think that's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. I'm teasing. Well, I, I mean, do. like the the idea of like knowing that uh, because you're very versatile w with characters, and it seems like you really commit, and you know, you embody characters. And I, I imagine for the first chunk of a career to to do that in short spurts is better than kind of taking a risk to ride the whole thing out. Uh, no, I mean <laughs> it's just opportunities, you know. And um, and and sometimes normally what happens is the person who the move the character yeah. that the film is riding on the back of yeah. There's always an obsession with will the audience like this character? And yeah. that's a sort of the mathematics that goes into every single scene. 
and they tend to be blander characters to play and you have all this pressure from the the money people on your shoulders all the time and the other characters are more fun you know right. you can you can mess with the, how the people right. feel about your character and you can take them through different journeys so yeah you're like color you know you're like yes. there's yeah. that guy yeah. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants my a good friend of mine called Gary Marks um, yeah. called me up because um um I forget it was one of the movie channels were doing that guy thursday <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. Doing a, it's a special sequence. They have a film. So they're doing That Guy Thursday movies, and they were doing a series of my films. <laughs> oh, really? What did they, which one did they show? I think it was Igby. Igby Goes Down. Um, Happiness? Yeah, happy stuff like that. I yeah, think that I was the first time I remembered, you know, really saying, you know, like, who the hell is that guy? I was at the premiere of that movie. Yeah. New York Film Festival, standing next to Francis Ford Coppola, who had, um, who was chatting to Todd Salons, and he said, where the hell did you get that Russian guy? And I'd just been introduced to him, and he went, "Oh, that was Jared." <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he was in here. Salons came. That was a that was a tricky interview. <laughs> you know, he trained as a stand-up. No, yeah, he did not he, tell me that. He trained as a stand-up. What does trained mean? Well, I mean, that's how he started off. He, oh. I mean, you can see that, and he's got those rhythms in his script. Uh huh. He really understood yeah. exactly where the joke was, and he was obsessed when you were doing the scenes because he was incredibly specific about you pick the pen up on this line, and and then there's certain lines he uh, he understood that which the setup was and where the joke was, and you couldn't move on the setup you know and the that, joke. He, he was that specific yeah because and also his jokes are not uh you, you know they're not uh ha necessarily no, no they're very dark yeah and very sort of yeah, like, yeah exactly <laughs> those kind of jokes so when you when you did that film though you'd already done like a dozen movies right i actually um had done the andy warhol movie for christine vachon's company oh, i remember that yeah and i um, and they said meet Jared for this movie and I went to meet him for the part that Philip Seymour Hoffman played in the movie uh -huh. initially and so I was chatting to him and I really I pitched myself to play Vlad um, because I, I you know even though I was supposed to he said oh I didn't re I didn't realize you were interested in that role I said you know I am because it's a better contrast for me from having played Andy Warhol, the, right. you know, than to play the guy who jerks off against the wall and sticks postcards and sticks them <laughs> to the surface of the postcards. I thought it'd be more fun for me to play this other character because it, people would go, wow, look at that, you know? And was when you do something Which like that. Which was lucky because Philip was always going to play that part. Yeah, and he was, he was uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, tragic in yes. that part, but yeah. but endearing in some odd way. He, the one piece of direction he got from Todd yeah. was you cannot smile. In yeah. this film, there's one scene and one moment when you're allowed to smile, and that's it. Otherwise, you can't smile in this film. And he knew exactly when that was. Yeah, it was when he gets interrupted when he's on the phone by the co-worker, and he turns around, he's like, hey, how are you? Yeah, you know, that was the only moment he could smile. <laughs> it's that specific with Todd, huh? Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, were you tight with uh, Philip? At all, or just I, just no, worked I with just, him? I didn't. We didn't have scenes together, so I only knew him. Uh, I met him when we did the promotion, and it, you know, obviously, he's a, a great guy, and I admire the man's talent enormously. Yeah, yeah it was sad. I saw him uh, on stage. Did you see that he did um, True West? Uh, no, uh, uh, Death of a Salesman. No, Extraordinary. I didn't. He just did it about two years ago. He was incredible. I bet he probably brought some weight to that yeah. part. The sadness must yeah. have been profound. Yeah. So. Like when I saw you in Happiness, uh, and then I I did some research and I found out that you were Richard Harris's son, I thought like, holy fuck, <laughs> that that's a, a heavy legacy. Did you uh, now? And you grew up in sort of show business family. Yes, you could say that. Although 
weirdly, my mother married Rex Harrison after Doctor Doolittle. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, Doctor Doolittle, my fair, my lady, fair lady, Professor Higgins. She married him after my father, and weirdly, that we were more around show busy things when she was married to him. Yeah, for about five or six years, and, and never really show busy around my dad. That was, no, no. <laughs> Never. I mean, he was, you know, he would like to go down to the filthiest pub yeah. and hang out there and chat and talk to the sort of just local people and, and tell you, jokes and, you know. Yeah. Where'd um, you grow up? Um, I grew up in England. Um, my father had a place down in the Bahamas yeah. for 30 years. So we used to go there for holidays and, uh -huh. you know, we'd come visit him. Um, my stepfather had a place in Italy, so we were going there for a while. Sounds sweet. Yeah, it was good. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, but like, to to did you were you aware like when you were younger of the sort of like the weight of your dad's uh, you know uh, uh, career he's celebrity? You mean? Well, I don't know if it's celebrity because he's like uh, I mean obviously celebrity, but he was a great great actor. Right. Well, okay. Acting wise, he did very adult movies yeah so um we didn't actually get to see his films until we were older um but but in terms of being aware of him being an actor being a celebrity or famous or um th there's a weird relationship that you have with that because um in a way you're you sort of uh you don't want to share your parents with the world, you know. You yeah. want their, all their attention, and you so there's a sort of sort of jealousy that you have with the fact that there's, he, you know, he does he's the world wants his attention as well. You know? Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, all that you care about as a kid is that your parents love you, you know, and yeah. he did. So, but you do feel that the idea that uh, you know, there's all these fans out there. Well, are... people come up to you know people will come up to him on the street. He was he was always recognized, but he was also the kind of personality who he did not enter a room and have it go unnoticed. Right. Every, every just by sheer force of his personality, um, he would turn all the focus to him. And he, and I didn't realize how much uh, singing he did. Oh yeah, he had a huge singing career. Yeah. yeah, huge singing career. He was a pop star. We used to see him. We have a show in England called Top of the Pops. Yeah. And um, you know, he would see. I'd see him on that. Yeah. You know? And you and you did. Did you know you wanted to do acting? I didn't. No. Uh, I. I was very shy, and um, I. I was. I guess academic. I mean, I hated school. My elder brother um, managed to get out of school early, and I How thought, wow, that? that's well. He got out, and then my mother made him do private tutoring so right. that he still passed his exams. So I realized there was no getting past the exams. So right. I stuck my head down yeah. and tried to do it on my first try. Yeah. And my parents thought, oh, he likes academics. So they thought <laughs> yeah. that I would either become a lawyer because I was the middle child and I was always arguing and fighting. Yeah. Or, you know, I would go into academics. So I actually took the chance to go come to America. I went to Duke University. And, and where's that? North Carolina? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was just down there. I yeah. was in Raleigh last yeah. weekend. Raleigh, yeah. Durham. Yeah, yeah. and uh, saw and Iggy Pop down there. Did you? Yeah, he was, was just there. Uh, oh no, when, when, I, college. when I was at college. Yeah, and when I worked with him on the movie, I said, um, I told him I'd seen him down in. Uh, I think it's called the Cat's Cradle down yeah, there, that's and what he, it's called. he knew exactly what he wore. He went, oh yeah, that was that was the tour where I wore the gold boots and the tight hot pants and nothing else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was amazed at how good a memory he had. Yes, 
Because, you know, you make assumptions based on the well, character right. that, or, or what you think the guy is. Well, that was all quite true, but he's been doing, he's lived a very clean life for a long time now, and he does Tai Chi every morning. And Yeah, he did a yeah. little out on my deck. Yeah. It was very interesting. You know, he, he came over and he just started doing it out on the deck, yeah. and then he took his shirt off and he came in here and sat down. <laughs> of course he took his shirt <laughs> yeah, off. Anybody else would be like, what the fuck is happening? But now you're like, no, no now he's Iggy. Up, man. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between the the, the character Iggy and 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 uh, Jim Osterberg, that's for sure. But he does have an amazing memory. So you went to Duke, and was that the first time you'd lived in America? It was the first time I lived there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd been to America several times. I'd been to Los Angeles several times, New York several times, and I mistakenly thought, as a lot of European people do, that New York and Los Angeles were it is America. Yeah, and it's completely different. Yeah, like what do you remember being the, the mind-blowing things? Um, I remember being asked what language they spoke in, in England. And I said, um, <laughs> I said, well, we speak the same language as you, English. And the guy goes, I, I don't speak English, I speak American. <laughs> Come on, that did I actually happen. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> That was in North Carolina. Yeah, I I feel like I need to apologize. Uh, no, no, no. I was fascinated. I loved it. I mean, you know, I loved it. I mean, partly it's because uh, when you're in, you know, I grew up in England and we're sandwiched in the middle between Europe and America, so you're aware of what's happening in Europe and um, and we're pretty bad as well in England. I have yeah. to say, you know, the, the French are much better at it and the Germans are much better at it. We still have that little island mentality, you know. But in America, you. The island mentality of a of a of a passing empire, right? It, which well, makes it, I mention that, yeah, <laughs> which makes yeah. it a little more. It's not like it's Nantucket. It hurts more. It yeah, hurts more. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the yeah. Hawaiian islands. Right. <laughs> it's like the, the the shame and anger yes. of letting it all go. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone blames, still blaming you because you know you left behind this giant mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, an old mess. It's yep. a, it goes back. But like when you when you lived in England, did you live in London? Or like I'm I'm sort of fascinated with with Britain because I I've only been there a couple of times, but I I'm not really an Anglophile. But it seems that people who grow up there have a very specific type of life. It seems very pleasant to me. <laughs> uh, I well it depends. I mean, it depends where you grow up. Like, do you, you have, did you grow up in a uh, a small castle? No. <laughs> did you? Do you have? Is there, is there, do you have royalty in your family? It's all little castles yeah, all over there. Yeah. Right. There yeah. is little castles yeah. all over there. Yeah, I went to Ireland. I went to England. If you go to There's some lots places, of little castles in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Is your dad's Irish, right? Yes, it's on do, the west coast of Ireland. Do you have family up there? I mean, did you still? Go have, yeah, cousins, uh, uncle. One so you uncle get to there. how beautiful is Ireland, man? Gorgeous. It's the most amazing thing yes. I've ever seen. Gorgeous. I have no family ties to it, and I went there and I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, they love Americans in Ireland. Yeah, they do. I like I, I like the Irish. I feel I feel like um, it took me a while to connect with them because uh, you know my neurotic problems, you know, didn't equal the it didn't seem, didn't seem to equal centuries of <laughs> of, of of just harsh living. Right. All right, so let's get back to how you grew up in England. I was off. We were shipped off to boarding school when we were seven. Yeah. Um, so my experience of growing up in England is is uh, in boarding schools where you used to, you know, our favorite movies were yeah. prisoner of war movies. Because <laughs> you related? Because we would relate to them and we go, <laughs> well, that's the headmaster who is the commandant. Yeah. You know, and the various teachers, the sort of really strict sort of SS ones would be the sort of, there was, a, there was a sister at the school who was sort of supposed to look after your sort of health and be the matronly type person. It's a Catholic The most school? vicious. Yeah. A sadistic, <laughs> unkind, you know, personality yeah. would constantly send you to the headmaster so you would get beaten by the headmaster and, and she'd wait outside to hear you being thrashed and then look at you like, 
and let that be a lesson. It's awful, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's why we like the POW films, right? Yeah. Someone else has had our experience. So, is it Catholic school? Yes. Yeah. yeah I don't. I see. I just that was so far out of my uh, my experience. I, I don't know because everything you hear about them seems to be true. Uh, but but it was back. It's changed a lot. Changed yeah. a lot. A lot of that stuff it doesn't happen in. Not Were you brought up anymore. Catholic though? Yeah. Yeah. And he believed Catholic. it. Well, you believe what you're told when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, I shook the monkey off my back now, but I mean, you did. Uh, yeah. I mean, after that school, we went to a school run by Benedictine monks. That must be <laughs> different attire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from a Catholic boarding school to a Benedictine, a Catholic, another Catholic boarding school. Yeah. But but a, a little a different branch. So third, you know, thirteen to eighteen. What uh, one were the sisters and the other were nun habits and the other one were monk robes. Well, there was a sister who was a sort of, um, you know, like a nurse. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, a, like um, someone who, the sister as, as, as someone who works in a hospital. It's right. like that type of sister. You right. Know, rather than a religious. Uh, so there weren't nuns there? No, 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 no. But so you believed in hell and the whole business, all that stuff. Yeah. Did it like? Uh, did you? Were you concerned early on <laughs> that you'd be spending time there? You know, it's, it seems a pretty sort of. Uh, it seems pretty um, arbitrary and a pretty kind of crazy idea um, when you start to rationalize it in your head that it's um, you know love me or I will condemn you to the burning pit of hell for all eternity. And you go, well, that doesn't seem like much of an alternative. Right? <laughs> I haven't got much of a choice. So I guess I'll say yes. <laughs> I just don't, so you, had, you did the confession and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. And you yeah. went every Sunday? You'd make stuff up because yeah. you'd feel like if you didn't show up there with something that could really confess that you were, you know, they'd be disappointed in you. So you <laughs> make don't, stuff up. You don't want to bore the priest. Yeah. You're like, oh, I told a lie. You're like, <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, and this, because. And we do some terrible stuff at that that first school. We did some really wicked stuff. Um, one of the things we used to do was there was um, in the, the, the summer months, uh, we'd play cricket. Mm hmm. And cricket's a long, long game. Yeah. And when you're batting, you spend a lot of time waiting for your turn to bat. So um, we'd pick teams, and we always used to pick this. Um, the first boy that we'd pick on our team was yeah. this little kid called yeah. Davies. Yeah. And they could never figure out why they always pick this guy first. And yeah. what was happening is we'd put him as the 11th batsman. That meant he had a long time to wait. And we'd get all the copper and change that we could find. And then we'd sneak through the hedge with Davies, and we, because you weren't allowed off the school grounds, yeah. and we'd go, would hide along the hedge, and we'd go out onto the street into the local town, make our way to the town, go to the sweet shop. Yeah, we'd go to the sweet shop, and we'd give him the money, and we'd and he, we'd ask for something from the top shelf so that the woman had to get a ladder out and climb all the way to up. And while she was climbing up to the top, we'd steal all the sweets and stick them in Davies' pockets because <laughs> she'd never suspect him because he looked like a little cute <laughs> you, kid. Well, you had a plan. And then we'd come back to school and then we'd auction it all off. And you made some money. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And then you'd go into the, the priest and confess right, your... We'd never confess that. No. Yeah, it, because they might stop you. <laughs> right. It, it, there is no confidentiality in yes. the confession when you're a kid. Yeah. You just get right in trouble. <laughs> right. It's not just between you and God. Yeah. It's between the headmaster the headmaster is going to thrash you <laughs> right the priest uh, the priest told me what you were up to yeah that's where you learn how to distrust religion <laughs> so how long did that stick with you um that stuck with me for a long time yeah a long time i said i tell you what really started to open my mind to it and you know it's getting sort of uh i don't know if this is a good subject it's getting serious but i read joseph I like campbell serious. Joseph Campbell, the hero the art, of the thousand uh, faces, reflections on the art of living. That uh -huh. book, um, and it was really about a series of lectures that he'd given at the Essen Institute. Yeah, and it, of course, because he studied myths, yeah. early myths, and a lot of myths are all centered around people's uh, religious beliefs and uh, early religion. But he he started to break down 
um, the Catholic faith and Christianity for me. And I started to understand what always bothered me about it. Yeah. I would never been able to um, uh, conceptualize. And when I read what he said, I said, this is exactly what has always bothered me about it. And it's the sort of first time I started to be able to separate from it. And what was the specifics? Well, that idea, I mean, what we talked about. about yeah. Um, I think there was some, uh, I think there was some, is it a Hindu thing about the five stages of love and the first stage of love is between master and slave? Right. And so that's what Christianity is based on. So it's 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 not even evolved. You, you don't have a choice. Right. Exactly. It's like the very first. Um, well, well, isn't it sort of interesting too that once you start to break that stuff down that you realize it's all mythology? That, right. that it's almost a genetic human imperative to want to be part of something larger than yourself right. so you feel like life has some sort right. of purpose. Right. That's in us. Because if we didn't have it in us, we would just sit around terrified waiting for death all the time. Right. So, But once you start to realize that like there's all these different kinds and Christianity evolved out of this one and that one, you're sort of like, you, it gives you a little freedom, I guess. But did it did it die for you with a crash? I mean, were you or did oh, you? Um, like, did you feel like, oh my god, it's all go it's all bullshit? Uh, I well, yeah, I. I mean, I felt that that. that I mean, I felt liberated from it because I could start to choose what I wanted to believe and how what I, you know, what you how you want to interpret right what we're what we're going through and i suppose the thing that i that for me again getting serious i it was um i think that the 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 gift is that you're you have an ability to appreciate what this all is and it is an amazing creation is an incredible thing if you, you sit in there and look at what they're discovering and yeah uh, uh, on in physics now yeah and looking through the pictures coming through the hubble telescope it is an incredible thing yeah and if you weren't alive you right. wouldn't be there to recognize how amazing it is so you're able to elevate you your appre appreciation yeah you appreciate and the only way you're going to be appreciated is that you have to make this terrible bargain which is that you have to exist <laughs> but it's a finite thing right. you can only appreciate it whilst you exist but then once you and you can't appreciate if you don't exist so. right yeah, well, I, I, well, that's true. Yeah, it, it is going to end. Right. That, that, that's the horrible thing. That's the one thing we're all trying to sort of like, hey, let's not let's not focus on that too much. <laughs> what was your, your your guidance in your family? I mean, your, your dad lived a pretty rough life, it seems like, by choice. Right. Uh, I, I, by rough, I mean fun. Yeah, he enjoyed himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he enjoyed himself. Because it was like he was part of like that crew. Wasn't there like a crew? Wasn't like Burton and O'Toole and your pop and, and Finney? Know, and Finney? Yeah. Um, I mean, they yeah. they they were notoriously uh, they were notoriously en enjoyers of life. <laughs> yeah, you know, hacked it off with great big chunks. Yes. Yeah, yes. is Finney still around? Yes, he is. Do, are, do you are you friends with him? No, I, oh, I've never that, met him. Is, oh, you never have. No. Is that is? I guess that's another odd thing about growing up with a father who was uh, a celebrity is that you you read about you know things about him. And yeah, he, he was, I hear and, stories. I mean, I met Peter O'Toole for the first time at my father's memorial service, and they were great friends. Yeah. I remember when he walked out on stage, he sort of looked over at us, and we all bear different resemblances to my father. So he kind of looked at us, and it was it's a strange look he had on his face. Yeah. And then he, 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 um, he gave his tribute. And after it was over, we went backstage to go see him. And he was putting on his coat to leave and he looked at us and he started to chat to us and talk about dad and everything. And he put his arms out and he gave us a big hug and he yeah. held us all in and you yeah. could see he was starting to get emotional. Yeah. And he didn't want us to see that he was 
going to become emotional and cry. And he literally flung open the door and shoved us almost with his foot out the door and like out. Like I didn't say a word. It was just like, I just can't. I, really? I'm going to become overwhelmed. And he like, pushed us out the door. Oh I mean, gave us an enormous hug and then closed it to oh, compose himself again. That's sweet. It was. It was, I, it was incredible. That's powerful, man. Are you able to sort of look at your father's work differently as an actor? Um, I mean, in two, two sort of ways, yes, as an actor, um, but also in terms of you, you do that thing where you go, how old was he then? Because your parents always seem older than you, and you do the math, and you go, God, he was like 34 when he did that. And wow, you know, the, I mean... The, like which movie are you thinking in particular? Well, I ju- I, we just... Um, I, I just saw this picture of myself with my father and I was four years old and yeah. he was 34. And, yeah. and um, I mean, you look at him, he just always seems so much older. And he's going, wow, he was younger than I am now. And, Is that a trip? Um, you know, and he was, uh, I mean, he, he he got to where he got through force of personality. And I'm, I said that a couple of times, but th- the big break for him was Camelot. Yeah. And when Richard Burton decided that he didn't want to do Camelot and they were going, okay, well, we're going to do a worldwide search for who's going to be King Arthur, Dad campaigned to get that part. Yeah. And, you know, he had, as you mentioned earlier, he had um, number one records around the world and he'd won the Cannes Film Festival, Best Actor, and, and they weren't interested in him at all and they were looking at other people. And he would send telegrams, he would send, he'd sent this, you know, um, he sent one thing showing how tall Vanessa Redgrave was uh, because they'd cast her and how, you know, all the other actors they were thinking of were way too short and he, uh-huh. was, he was actually taller than her, you know, without putting boots on, you mm-hmm. know. And um, and again, they weren't interested. And he found out that the director was going to be at a dinner party in Palm Springs. Yeah. So he went down to Palm Springs and he paid one of the people who was working the dinner yeah. party to give him his clothes. Yeah. And he went round the table serving food and they were talking about who is going to play King Arthur. And my father says, well, there really is only one person and that's Richard Harris. And the director goes, what? what? And he looks at him, he goes, oh my God. He says, will you ever leave me alone? <laughs> And he says, no. He says, well, what the hell do you want? How am I going to get you to leave me alone? He says, I want a screen test. He says, is that it? He says, yeah. If I give you a screen test, will you leave me alone? He says, I promise. He says, okay, you got it. And he did it. Yeah. And he locked it out of the park. Yeah. But I mean, you know, he, that's what I mean. It was for, he was totally determined. So. It's an amazing story. Where'd you hear that one? Uh, from him, from my mother. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Is it, do you think it's interesting that be, by by that your father was you know completely driven by force of personality and that you seem to be a kind of uh, a shapeshifter? Um, I think, I guess that's what I was attracted to in terms of the performers that I saw. You know what I mean? And maybe it was because you know I saw him. He was shapeshifting when he was acting because yeah. he was completely different. When uh, my experience of him as a father was very different from the roles that he played. You I know? just remember when I was a kid, the poster for A Man Called Horse, mm. that, and, and then seeing that movie was just crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I saw it too young. Yeah, when he was hanging from, yeah, the, from thing. the yeah, like bone hooks yeah. or something. It was crazy. Yeah, and 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 then you, I, and then I watched The Unforgiven recently, and you know, he still was like you know completely loaded up. You know, in terms of like he embodied the Yeah. It, it was pretty. That great scene in the prison where he, in the cell after he's been beaten up by yeah. Gene Hackman. Yeah. He doesn't have a word of dialogue in that scene. Yeah. But it was just incredible yeah. what he did with it. Yeah. Where, where Gene, he's been offered the gun. The gun. Right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks about it. He yeah, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. So you go to Duke and you're not planning on being an actor. I wasn't. What were you planning on doing? I just, I had no idea. Just, I didn't know what I, I didn't really know who I was. Yeah. I didn't know what I, you know. You get, you've been beaten up through boarding school. I just went there to sort of hang out in the reinvent South. Reinvent myself and figure out who I was and, um, have people respond to me rather than what I thought was through because people were always aware of my father. and So that was sort of a you, burden at some well, point. Well, you couldn't, you know, you wanted to, you always having to filter w- w- what people were saying to you because yeah. in terms of what are they, are they reacting to me or are they reacting to what they think, uh, who he is or, you know, so it's, I was there and nobody knew anything and you could, I could just start from scratch. So it was like anonymity. Yeah. That you couldn't have in Britain. Right. Huh. Well, I, I apologize for talking about your dad. So no, much. no, it's okay. <laughs> I love my father. Yeah. I, absolutely, I love him. I love but him. But it, it does. It must be quite something to get out from under the shadow, and then and then the, the surface is an actor. That's ballsy, uh, right. man. Thank you. Yeah. So so okay. Well, I mean, the, what happened was that yeah. I, they send you to Duke and you do orientation week, right? Right, where they basically get you hammered. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a party every night. Right. And at the on the Sunday night. I realized I was going back to class again. I'd been in boarding school since I was seven. Yeah. I thought, well, what the hell am I doing here? How did I end? I was out of the frying pan into the fire type thing. Right. And I saw a, a flyer on a table, and it said there was a free keg of beer at Bryanston Theatre. And I thought, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. I, I Fuck it. I'm just going to go. A free keg. Yeah, there's another party. So I just yeah. went to the theatre to go and, you know, drink their free beer. And the next thing I knew, I was auditioning for a play. And the funny thing is, is that um, several years later, when my movie I Shot Andy Warhol is premiering in New York, and at that point, the director of that play, my first play that I'd done, was now living in New York. And I thought, oh, it'd be cool. I'll invite him to the, my, here's my movie, my names and lights, yeah. the red carpet and everything. I said, yeah, I'll bring him along. It'll be a sort of good little, you know, um, a story, if you like. Yeah. And we're walking up the red carpet. And the journalist says to him, so you cast him in his first play? He said, I did, yes. He said, you must be very proud. Oh, I am, yes. Yeah. He said, um, so you must have seen something in him all those years ago, and here he is. He says, no, I didn't see anything special in him. <laughs> he says, what? He goes, I'm looking at him like, he says, no, I was doing an English play. I needed someone to keep an eye on the accents. <laughs> You had to appreciate the honesty. <laughs> I love that I said say that all the way up the line. It's a great story. It's funny. You know, you never cut funny, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. And it was. And it, it, did he say it all the way up the line? Yeah. So what yeah. was the uh, what was the uh, so you did a play, but did you end up studying theater? Or did you? Just yeah. Spend, uh, yeah. After after that, I went to um, Central School of Speech and Drama in England. So uh, you did four years at Duke. Three, yeah, four years at Duke. Undergrad in yeah. theater. Or no, uh, well, they didn't really have an undergrad, which is lucky because you know those the universities that have undergrad theater programs are yeah. incredibly incredibly competitive. There's sort of 500 people, you know, auditioning for might have killed roles. your spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows if I would have got a shot or not? I don't right. know. So, right. So, uh, what did you end up studying? I studied at I I made a movie. Yeah. I in studied, undergrad. Yeah, I made a movie. Um, I got credit for that. Yeah. I, studied uh, literature and history and, is that where and you read, drama. Is that where you read Joseph Campbell? No, that was later. That was after a breakup. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you get your heart broken and then you're yeah. open to things, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm constantly open yeah. to things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like heart, there's no shortage of heartbreak, man. 
So, okay, so tell me about this uh, this program in England. What was it? Central School of Speech, uh, speech and Drama. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a theater training school, specifically theater training school. They've, um, you know, they've had like, Laurence Olivier went there, Vanessa Redgrave, they're fantastic. Uh, and it's, um, it's a theater school. They basically just chuck plays at you, and you figure out, you figure out what um, different styles of of uh, of acting certain plays require you know like well that's interesting to me because you know there's that famous story about um you know dustin hoffman and mm. Lawrence olivier on the set of marathon man that you know there's this idea well i, I guess i mean i can only paraphrase the story you know what i'm talking right. about yeah the yeah. one where dustin hoffman stays up all night and runs and doesn't eat to do the scene and you know and what is uh, olivier walks in just comfortably rested right. and said dustin you should really try acting right yeah. But is there a difference? Were you exposed to 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 that to to method acting or to the idea of method acting or what is the British idea of acting at well, that school? I mean, it's interesting because when you're at drama school, um, although you're studying theatre, uh, all of your heroes and your references are cinema, right? You know, I mean, that that time, the the actors that we all emulated and and admired was Robert De Niro yeah. and Al Pacino and right Hackman and um Hackman what an amazing right yeah yeah um and there's there was something that's obviously you want that sort of emotional intensity and that honesty um when you apply it to stage it really only works for the first three rows right you know and, you, and you've got to <laughs> right. figure out how to amplify all that so you can hit the back of the theater but also that approach is completely useless when you're trying to do restoration comedy. You know, you have yeah. to figure out a whole different set of tools. You, you that can't you need. sit there and like ponder, yeah, and be all sort of <laughs> introverted and method, and you know, it just doesn't not going to work. Right, the play will be seven hours long, and there right. won't be a single laugh. You know, so uh, you have to figure out a whole different set of stuff. And they try and teach you, but really, you learn off the other students. And someone who's successful in a part. Um, in something that you found difficult, you'll sit and talk to them in the pub and like, what did you do? How did you do it? Really? Yeah, you so try and figure out and they'll they'll uh, you know give you some sort of insight so that you can try and see if you could follow their method into, right. into, into being able to uh, be successful in that type of, uh, that style so of the playing. So te the teachers were no help. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. I mean, you know. Word of mouth. Well, the weird thing yeah. is you've got to admit that the the more I don't talk to a lot of actors, but I talk to a few. And when you start talking about craft, you know, no matter what they say, you begin to realize that well, either you got a knack for it or you don't. Well, that's what they say. Acting um, can't be taught, but it can be learnt. Uh huh. Um, but but you know, the, I think that the the better actors just they live up there. I mean, there's something that comes out. It's not, you can't right. explain it necessarily. Right. So the difference between getting instruction from a teacher and talking to somebody at a pub about how to handle a restoration comedy, I mean, what would that guy tell you? Like, just, you know, project, I, I tend to turn around like this. And I mean, well, I mean, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, number one, I remember one guy, um, you had to do speeches. And so um, you wouldn't do the whole play. So you do so Shakespeare speeches or you do Ibsen speeches. We did restoration speeches and, uh, and it's, I remember talking to the guy. I said, "Like, you know, how did? What was the key?" And he said, "I, I, I thought of myself as a hairbrush, <laughs> and and I, you know, it was so crazy." You go, "What the hell does that mean?" And 
Um, but something about it, because you would go and then you wouldn't try and be a hairbrush. Yeah, it sounds yeah, ridiculous. Right. right. But you understood that you have to, you can't think. Right. Literally, yeah, you can't yeah. think linearly. You have to be lateral, and you just try and find some way to, you know, jump out and 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 use your imagination. You know, did you but, were you ever able to piece it together though? What the hell he meant? Yeah, I mean, I play. I had to play a character in a in a um, a restoration play, and I thought he was a sort of. Uh, my conception of the character was that he was a, like an old castle that that had been left a. Um, oh. You know, and that the you know now and again he'd let the drawbridge down for people that he was familiar to come inside and offer them sanctuary. You know, it's things like you know, it's a, it's like a metaphor that right, you're right. using. You know, but it's not like it's not like animal work. You, you know, because like, yeah, we did that, but <laughs> right, right. It's that you know you're literally I that in jail. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, we I broke into London Zoo to go and visit my I, I my the animal that I'd studied, and of course you know you get arrested <laughs> what animal uh, a gorilla really yeah and you what were you drunk uh, we were drunk and it was the end of we were you know the end of term and yeah. you know was i was going to sort of wave goodbye because we'd graduated you spent a uh, lot of time with this animal yeah you, you, you go, yeah yeah i'm they were amazing I'm, I'm, i remember we were with a group of us and we were at the orangutan enclosure and um it was cold so we were wearing gloves and scars and we standing by the sort of Green. This is when he broke in. No, this is like this oh, okay. early during yeah. the day. Yeah, um, uh, like a year before, and uh, we're standing by this green chain link fence, and the orangutan comes over and um, starts pulling on the finger of one of the girls, and, and she's got a glove on. Yeah, and it pulls, starts pulling on the glove. Yeah, and so she pulls her hand back, and she took the glove off, and she pushed it through the fence to the orangutan it took the glove put it on its hand come on and then went back to the the other orangutans and was playing and they were all excited and we realized we had to go back so we shook the fence like this to get its attention and she went like that to the orangutan and it came back took it off pushed it back through the fence get out really yeah that's unbelievable that feels like something you should report to a scientist. You should tell <laughs> that was a gifted orangutan. Well, I, the sad thing was that implies that they knew that they were in a cage, right? Yeah. I mean, well, but but they also knew they were getting food three times right. a day or whatever. <laughs> they also knew right. that like people were cleaning up right. after right. them. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was like the Ritz Hotel. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not so horrible. So when you do animal work, that means what you what you took a whole semester and yeah. spent time with you'd that. You'd go to the show. zoo a couple of times a week. You have to go sit there and study them. Then you'd have to bring your animal in and show it to the teachers, and they would critique you. And the class sits there. Yeah, and you watch them, and and um, and it's actually great fun because it's so nutty. But what happens is that you study different animals and you have to bring them in, and at the end of the term, then they choose the animal that you they think that you were succeeded in the best. And then you have Zoo Day. Everyone's, on, everyone's their animal. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what, which one did you end up doing the best? Uh, the, I did the gorilla. Oh, and, yeah. And everyone's just on stage? Yeah, you have penguins and you had polar bears and you had, you know, lemur monkeys. And and do you find that that, that that work is a functioning resource for you or that it was just that the exercise may have done something that you're not quite aware of, but it did help? Um, I, a certain freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's about movement. It's about you know utilizing movement and um, to to express character or express emotion. You uh -huh. know? And what about Shakespeare? How comfortable are you with it? I love I love Shakespeare. I mean, I'm you know I'm 
it's not actually wasn't the cornerstone of our training restoration comedy was but you do a lot of Shakespeare I, I don't I can't wrap my brain around it Shakespeare yeah I mean I know he's great mm. uh, you know I'm not well read in it mm. I when I see the plays mm. I, I get I, I it's hard for me to follow okay uh, I, enj- I I know it's brilliant but I can't I I just as someone who does Shakespeare do you find that it evolves with you that like from when you were a student to now yes. that it gets deeper yes. as you get into it yeah. that it keeps revealing itself to you yes and you understand um, the, the ideas and the concepts better and um, you uh, and your feeling for it evolves your your father did a movie Lear did he was he ever because it seems to be the, the journey of a lot of British right. actors to eventually they actually avoid Lear for quite a long time right. because it's like the last well that and Prospero are the last one they're hoping they make it to that right I know we always I'm really encouraged dad to do it and he just kept putting it off putting it off you know was he what do you think it was he afraid uh, I think because it sort of means that you've got to that point you know what I mean and that's in terms of um, you're that old yeah and right, and, right. Um, and his mind you know I remember we were at a pub with him and um, it was Christmas and this girl came in in a little sort of uh, uh, school girl sort of sh- yeah. dress on yeah. with a sort of Santa Claus hat yeah. and um, she was c- collecting for charity yeah. and we were in the middle of a conversation this girl comes in and he stops he's not listening anymore so what's going yeah. on talking he just stops right. sentence, and he just follows this girl as she walks in looking at her and she's this gorgeous girl he walks to the back of the bar and he turns to me and he notices that we're all looking at him and he goes, in my mind, I'm still 28 years old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. It's yeah, like, you know, that's why he didn't play Lear. I think it's like he thought, probably he thought he had more time. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What was the film you directed? Oh, about? it was this um, movie that I wrote um, called Darkmoor and it was about... Um, it was about subliminal advertising. Uh-huh. Uh, what drove you to do that? You just felt wanted to try it? Was it a, it was a short or? No, I went right for the whole thing. It was a feature film. <laughs> uh, when I, I saw it several years later and I realized it was one of the most pretentious things I'd ever seen. And I thought, well, I'll dub it into French because I'll probably get away with it. Then. Yeah. Did, did you ever do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's still on I the could back rewrite, I could rewrite all the dialogue. And yeah, I mean, you know, visually some of it still works, but in terms of, uh, you know, the writing and the story, it was, I was way out of my depth. And have you, have you done any directing since? I've directed theatre. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've directed theatre. And it, it, do you have a desire to direct film? Um, I, yes, I'm curious about it. I like. I mean, it's it, it seems as though the game's changed a lot because there's a huge, huge emphasis on technology and CGI and sort of producing um, right. a, a really big experience. Yeah, if you like. But you can do a little movie. People do little movies. Yeah. They're yeah. hard to fund. They're really, really, really difficult to fund. I know. I talk to guys. Yeah. Like, you have to dedicate your life to it. Right. To make one movie. To make yeah. one movie seven yeah. years into a movie right. that no one will see. Right. Maybe. It's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. So how be, how long before you got out of school before you started working? Probably about eight or nine months uh-huh. after I got out of Central. Uh-huh. I, um, then I did a... I did a um, we have a thing called Pantomime in England, which is um, it's, it's around the Christmas holidays. And yeah. The, they're orientated towards children. Yeah. So we, uh, the, my first job was playing a character called Young Dick uh-huh. in Treasure Island. Okay. 
And that was a, a, on stage. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I was a sort of wannabe pirate. Uh huh. You know, pirate in training with the whole. But it was, you know, it was, um, you know, Long John Silver. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Do you love the stage? It's great fun. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's really good fun. Is it in, in movies? Movies can be sort of tedious, right? Well, the acting part of movies is great. It's there's a lot of waiting around, you yeah. Know, and, um, but you know, it's a different type of uh, of pressure and intensity. And you know, even on big budget movies, right. you don't get that many opportunities. You're still, you know, unless you're still talking about three or four takes, right? You know, yeah, yeah. And and it, but like theater, it's right there. You, there's no there's no breaking. You know, you you're in it. You've got four weeks to practice, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. But like every night, you can feel the audience, and, and they're good. different. Yeah, you know. And then certain nights, you can always tell Friday night audience is different from a Saturday night audience, yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. Sometimes they don't laugh where they're supposed to, or they're not. Saturday gonna... night audiences are normally have less energy because they've been out shopping all day. I've noticed that too in stand up, like. Yeah. Friday for some reason Friday night's it's great. The, it's the beginning of the weekend. Yeah, and everyone's excited. That's what it is. Yeah, I couldn't. And I they're drinking and it's like a relief from work and the you know the the pressure the lids blown off the top. Right. right. They 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 want to have a good time. Right. And my thought has always been that Saturday they they realize the life they're living. <laughs> I just assumed they spent all day either you know they've got kids or right. they're shopping and they're yeah. doing these catching up. They've had a you know they've had a busy day and they're tired by the time they haven't had a nap. Yeah, and they get to the theater and it's like, oh god, we've got tickets. Right here we go. <laughs> exactly. And they sit down there and they're yeah, this oh, better be good. Right, nodding. Yeah, I can yeah. barely. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then they're already thinking about Monday. Right. Yeah. Well, dinner. <laughs> so, like, the number of movies you've done is a lot. Ben Mont, you played Ben Montench in Dead Man. Yeah, that was the um the movie with Iggy. But you know who that is, don't you? Ben Montench. That's hilarious. Ben Montench is the piano player for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, that was um that was uh, Jim Jarmusch's in joke. It was. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's bizarre. I just got his record. They just sent really? it to me. Really? He was in here. Really? Ben Montich. How long ago? <laughs> it was great. But I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. But okay, but you did work pretty in, uh, intimately with uh, Jarmouche. Yeah. Sure. And he, what was he like? It was great fun. I mean, yeah. we, we essentially improvised this that entire scene. It's a trippy scene. movie. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's the one with uh, with Johnny Depp. Johnny right? Depp. Johnny yeah. Depp. He gets shot through the heart early on, and it's sort of a journey about him uh, making his way over to the West Coast, isn't it? And yeah. To, and it's, it's the passage of his soul, isn't it? I I don't know. I remember seeing it and, and not quite wrapping my brain around it. But now that I have this information, I will go back <laughs> and look at it appropriately. And uh, the Andy Warhol one was that the one with Lily Taylor? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, she was great. Like, in that. see, like I didn't know you were Andy Warhol. Now oh. I got to go put that back together. The fucked up thing is, man, <laughs> is that you know until a week ago, till I knew you were coming over, like I didn't connect you with fucking Mad Men. Could I'm that's a compliment. I like that. I had no idea. I remember. I mean, and I watched all your episodes. I've watched the entire series, and I'm like, that guy's great. Thank you. And but then like, and then I'm like, but that's the guy from from Happiness. I was, I, my mind was blown. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> That's exactly the response, you know, the, what I'm looking for. Exactly. Well, Thank how, you. Now, as you evolve as an actor, when you look at yourself in, in happiness and you're doing that Russian thing, you, do you, you have, a, you have a, a, an ability for dialect, obviously. Uh, some people don't have that. And you pulled that off because Coppola thought you were a Russian. Right. Now, when you approach a British uh, character like, like uh, Lane, yes. what, what, what do we do? That, what are your yeah. resources? Well, um, I 
I thought that, well, first of all, Lane is, he's a middle class Englishman who has wanted to be accepted by the upper class. So he's, um, he's adopted their ways and their appearance and their right. manner of speaking. But they know exactly where he comes from and they'll never, they'll never let him in. You know, they'll never let him in the club. They right. might let him into the lobby. but he's The never British. Yes, the British will. Whereas in America, they they accept him as who he wants to be, how he wants to be perceived. So as he saw, falls in love with America for that reason. But, um, but and in my mind, there was a certain sort of um, like BBC radio speak that people grew up with back then. Um, when you were, in terms of what you were hearing and what you were trying to um, imitate, if you like, and and one of the models for that character was my stepfather, who I think was born in I think he was born in Liverpool, um, but he he became the sort of quintessential English gentleman, you uh -huh. know, Rex Harrison. Was right. That, but he didn't come from that background at all. Uh huh. Um, it was an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you you sort of try and um, you, you, you again, you're you're using patterns and role models of people that you've met. They were teachers. They were friends of my family. That you would sort of pick bits of the character out and construct this idea of the person in your imagination. And that, and so you spent a lot of time with Rex Harrison. Well, about five years, yeah. Uh, of, yeah. How old were you? We were teenagers. Oh, really? He, and he, I mean, he spent a lot of time with him. He didn't have a lot of time for kids, really. He didn't find them very interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. His, uh, <laughs> his sort of, the phrase for us was, you know, he would complain about, you know, to my mother about your buggering kids have screwed up the lift again. Or, you know, oh, really? Yeah, stuff is, like that. Is that guy, the cranky guy. He was a bit cranky, yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he, he accepted us because he was in love with my mother, so. Yeah. I don't know his movies beyond the ones that we mentioned. Mm. That's it. But he had a, a pretty huge, big career, huge. right? Huge, yeah, sure. Isn't that bizarre? Like, I mean, uh, Dr. Doolittle, I know. Right. Yeah, and My Fair, my Lady, Fair Lady. But yeah. then was most of it, what were the... He like, was in a big movie called the, um, I think it was with Charlton Heston called I think it was the agony and the ecstasy uh -huh. he, did, he did lots of them yeah oh but yeah but you, it was a it was a brief window yeah 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 oh fuck you were in Lincoln hell yeah it was grunt yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying this this is great <laughs> <laughs> you were fucking great in that thank you man thank you that was that must I because because by that time See, I still didn't know it was you. This is fucked up, dude. Because like I was watching Mad Men, and I go see Lincoln. I'm like, there's that fucking guy from Mad Men again. Right. And then like the last week, I'm like, that's the guy from Happiness. That's Richard Harris's kid. What the fuck? <laughs> so now you. Got I I shot Mad Men, my last episodes of Mad Men and Lincoln at exactly the same time. Wow. I was going back and forth from um, Virginia to uh, Los Angeles. Um, to shooting them but grant was such a like how much research did you do a on lot, that because he was like lot. he was an insane character yeah i did a lot of research and what a great great character he is and never he's never really been given his due he deserves his own um his own study if you like his own treatment either on film or his life was huge so you could probably it would be better as a like a sort of mini series or something like that but an extraordinary story you think of the the absolute terrible luck that he had in the early part of his life what was that um, he just well he failed at um every single business venture that he right. tried um and you know pr right up to the um before the war started he was selling firewood um to keep his family fed on on the side of the, you know the street corners and um I forget what the town was and he would see old army buddies because he fought in the Mexican war under Zachary Taylor yeah um and uh, who would try and give him money and he wouldn't take it because he was an intensely proud man and um, you know, 
if the war hadn't broken out, you would never have heard of Ulysses S. Grant. But when the war broke out, they needed someone to train the local militia, you know, so that they uh-huh. could send people. And he was, well, this guy, he was in the army. Let's get him to train. And he managed to work his way to get a commission in the army. And if you think about it, you know, he was selling firewood. And then eight years later, he was president of the United States. And if that is not the quintessential American story, then I really don't know what is. And when, when you were researching this as coming from where you come from, because you, you've got, what was that audition process like for Spielberg? Um, you go on tape. You put yourself on tape and and, and he watches it. And I that was what him. you were reading I met for. him my first day on set is when I met Spielberg and that blew my mind. I mean, it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. The guy is a legend. Yeah, it you know, certainly every is. Every actor in the world wants to work with Steven Spielberg. And But you knew you were auditioning for Grant. Yes. So you did this research yes. before. So now what was it that... That from that story, that was the key to his character for you. There, I there was something sort of doggedly determined about the guy. You know, there was you know the famous story on the eve of, of Shiloh when he gets it completely wrong on the first day, and they almost they're almost defeated. Yeah, and um, he manages. It's really the the um, the lack of daylight as the sun going down, which is, brings the engagement to an end, and he, and it's they're not able to completely turn his position. And um, they're all talking about retreating. All of his generals are saying we should get everyone back over the river and retreat and everything. And his thing is absolutely not. We're yeah. going to attack them first thing in the morning. Yeah. And um, he gets reinforcements and he, he he just goes at them and hammers them. And he basically says, they'll be as tired as we are. Whoever attacks first and pushes it is the person who's going to win this. And, and on some level, he was a guy that didn't have a lot to lose. You know, in terms of like he'd already the worst that already happened to him, right? In a way, he, he's getting. A, I think he gets a bad rap from history because some of the things that he pulls as a up, drunk, yeah, and they, you know those sort of stories that follow you around, and then they think that his achievements were based purely on numerical superiority and the resources. Oh, but, really? Yeah, and and but really, he pulled off um, st- strategic maneuvers that had only successfully been done before by Napoleon. You know. Yeah, he so, had balls. Yeah, yeah. There was that in terms of you know, sort of things that you that you want to um, qualities that you would you want to show in the audition. You're looking for those kinds of things, but you also you know you don't want to you can't completely uh, whitewash the whole thing because you want to show you know that you're versatile. The, the, yeah, the, well the fl- the whole as much as you can the quality of the man, right. good and bad. And then it's whatever's appropriate for the scene, you know, because yeah. you have to play the scene. Right. So. And what was it like working with Spielberg? I, I mean, you're just trying to absorb as much of the man's knowledge as you possibly can. And there's a lot there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean he's enormous. And the other thing is that I was really impressed with was um, he, his enthusiasm uh-huh. and his, his, just his joy and excitement and love for for shooting film and for making a movie and it's you know you can really see there's this sort of tremendous momentum and excitement there and uh and you can and it's you look at that and you see that energy in him and you realize why it's in every frame of every movie he's done yeah he, he can load it up yeah man. and what was it i mean that scene with you and daniel, daniel yeah i know on the yeah, porch i know yeah <laughs> that was extraordinary because you you know i didn't meet him um beforehand and um you know, you're waiting, and then suddenly you look out across the field, and there's Abraham Lincoln making his way across a muddy field, coming towards you. And because you. it's Daniel Day Lewis, it is Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, and he's in. You know, he's in character. He arrives, he's as Abraham Lincoln onto set, 
and then you engage with him as Abraham Lincoln um, and uh, for the whole day. Really? Yes. And um, which I found to be really fun and exciting and it's a challenge, you know. And then because the part of you wants to be like, "Hey, Daniel." Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you told you know you can't do that. He's he, he wants <laughs> Mr. Yeah. President. Yes, and he wants to engage <laughs> with you on. He wants to stay. It's a it's a tremendous act of concentration if you think about it. He wants to stay. Sorry, he wants to stay there in the zone, if you like, you know, and maintain his focus for the entire time. So he never feels like he's suddenly putting something on when the camera starts. You know, he's just he's there the whole time. But when we got in the car and we went back um, at the end of the day to go and, you know, you take your costume off and everything, he's a huge fan of Mad Men, his wife is, so we were chatting about the show. Oh, good. You know? Uh, once he took the hat off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice guy. Lovely guy. Yeah. I mean, and a, an amazing actor, a tremendous actor. Do you, did you, like, is that one of those situations where, I mean, having observed that and maybe not working like that, because he seemed to have processed exactly what can be gained from doing that right from that type of commitment yeah is that something that would appeal to you would you find it, a purpose you know he he knew a year ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> that he was going to be late. that he was going to be doing it i mean uh, someone in my situation you don't find out um you know with anything like that kind of time you you, you normally find out if you're lucky maybe a month ahead of time but normally it's a few weeks but it still might not be the way you would want to do it i mean you, you can enter a role however you're going to enter it i'd imagine yeah i mean it's in the end of the day it's imaginative you yeah. know what i mean and and you have to be flexible but to, and once you get to set the circumstances always change right so um but i appreciate the fact that um when you when you do it that way you can't really say to that person well i really don't think that you know um, whatever the you know, say you're playing Ozzy Osbourne. I don't think he would do that. And you go, yeah. well, he is that character. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, can't How argue you gonna... with the guy. Yeah, because exactly. he's him. Because he's him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. On other jobs, like, wow, that's really clever. <laughs> yeah. So what what is the hope? I mean, there's the movie that you're you're sort of pushing now. Yes. Is a horror movie. Yeah, it's a supernatural psychological horror film well, it was a small movie you know it's a low budget movie we made it in england two years ago for less than you know two million dollars um and it's it's really you know it's experimental and the that quiet sense. ones yeah the quiet ones and, yeah. and but the hope is not unlike many horror films that yeah they will break some. out and, yeah um you know it, it, horror is a big tent yeah you know um there are a lot of subsets within horror you yeah know, Jaws is a horror movie. Great movie. Uh, yeah. Completely fucked the ocean for yeah. me. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Same here. Even actually for a while, swimming pools me as too. well. At night, swimming pools yes. at night? Not happening. Yes. Not happening. Yeah. Um, thank uh, you, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Did you thank him for that on set? Yeah. Uh, he said so many people have said that to him in his life. Of course. So many people Everyone I talked to of our age group yeah. who saw it when it first came yeah. out, are you kidding me? Yeah. Disaster. I went, yeah. I, I went to the beach like the week after and it was like, there's no way. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, Alien was a horror movie. Yeah. Um, um, but I mean, this is more in the vein of, of sort of horror films like uh, uh, The Others or Rosemary's Baby or right. something like that, because it's relying on um, it, it's relying on y your mind and your imagination mm -hmm. rather than um, you know shock. Yeah, and chopping people's heads off right. or some kind of stuff. I like, like those that. kind of horror movies. Which one? Rosemary's Baby is a beauty. Yeah. That's a beauty, man. Mm. What's wrong with his eyes? <laughs> <laughs> when you think about that movie, 
you know, there's one effect in the whole film. Like, one, Where she's was, fucking Satan. Well, it's the, yes, and then yeah. she's got and the little kid with the eyes, and that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Otherwise than that, it's purely about suggestion. It's almost about paranoia. And it's also you know? about, about Cassavetti's character. Yes, that, brilliant. Unbelievable. Brilliant. Oh, and Ruth Gordon, the creepy old Satanist in mm. the Dakota building. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is beautiful. So you're in the so whole, you're this is, this big is role. in that, yeah. Right. Basically, the story is it's a it's a, an attempt to disprove the 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 validity, if you like, of the supernatural. And um, my character's premise is that it the supernatural uh, comes from what we think of being the supernatural is really just a manifestation of the human mind and the human psyche, and that we're creating it and then ascribing, um, you know, sort of quasi-religious um, uh, explanations behind it. Yeah. yeah. Do you believe that? Uh, you know, I I don't. I think the thing that always interests me about people's stories about the, having had experiences is it still doesn't explain what it was or where it came from. You know, and um, I don't know what I believe about that. So many people have. I never experienced anything. A lot of people have. Sometimes the sort of things that you read in these sort of um, you know I'm reading this book about uh, Stephen Hawking's at the moment called The Grand Design and some of the stuff that they're positing in those things are there's they're as crazy as anything <laughs> that people sure. come up with in the you right. know religion and yeah it's a trippy it's a tricky thing because like you're, you're dealing with with an individual's perception under whatever pressure that individual is under and yes. and 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 that perception is going to make connections however that individual is going to perceive order in things you know like with those kind of maybe not specifically supernatural events but where you're like well that's weird that i saw that and yesterday right. i was at that other right point. like you're loading it up with your own sort of uh i don't know if it's paranoia but i think it's a need it's that same thing we were talking about before is it's it's a need to think there is something bigger than you outside we, yourself we have a a sort of knee-jerk reaction to rationalize our experience and um, when you come across something that you don't know what it is you immediately go well it was because and you use x y and z sure. and, and if you've been indoctrinated into the it's particularly catholics seem to have this whole thing with the possession type stories well, very, how would they not they were very popular yeah um uh, within the sort of catholic communities it does it's not surprising that they would manifest um, that type of behavior whereas if you're in a completely different culture you know you probably find that there aren't a lot of those stories in 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 maybe in hindu cultures or something like that because they don't believe in it you and know? there's also more players in a lot of those cultures in the in the the sort of pantheon of mm. of, of religion like i mean as a catholic you grow up with a fairly intimate uh, uh relationship of of the devil you conceive right i mean it's the one guy right you're gonna reckon with satan and you're gonna, out to get you yeah and you're gonna reckon with jesus up. right right so you you know you're given this this food for thought which is a hell of that you're going to make as fucking horrible as you want i mean it's fueled art for centuries right and it, so like it's all there it doesn't take much to trigger in a catholic right, right. so you're happy with this film it's i really i love making it um um, we had a great time. It was only about five of us. It was a five-hander, you know, five yeah. characters. So it was like um, we were a sort of a, a little theatre company performing in this village up in Uxbridge, preparing this sort of strange performance art piece. And then because we rehearsed for two weeks, yeah, yeah. And then the audience come in, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you when you on a movie on that scale, yeah, you don't have all the resources that you have on a bigger film. You have to just put so much more into it in terms of your 
the hard work and the commitment and the passion and the uh -huh. belief and everything when you see that on the screen it's really exciting and yeah. the film really lives and dies by the intensity of the relationships and the intensity of the experience that we had making it you uh -huh. know that's great and what it, what, it, what are you hoping you're living out here now yeah and just got married i uh, got married in november congratulations yeah, first you. time no it's not my first time okay. <laughs> do you have kids uh, not yet oh good hopefully well good for yeah, you man so, yeah she seems pleasant she's love yes yes yeah i mean yeah, I, I, she was I, I saw her tweeting like at mrs harris i'm like who the hell is that and then i'm like yeah jared's going to do wtf i'm like oh okay i get it and then she came with you that's very exciting man congratulations thank you and uh how long you been out here oh uh, in la probably since 2008 uh-huh i've lived in america mostly since 1990 in, in new know? york before this yeah new york for a long time yeah and you liking it out here I, I know it's not cool uh, because, uh, you know, New York people used to say no, they look down their nose at it, but I fucking love it out yeah. here. I do, I, 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 I tell, like, I come, I was in New York for 12 years, and yes. you know what? I was ready to leave. I dude. was ready to leave, too. And it's a different place. It Stop is. eating. What do you, people you from New York home, are like, I don't you know. You smell jasmine when you come to your house instead of urine. Yeah, and you can you cook I mean? in your kitchen. You can, yes, exactly. <laughs> you <laughs> have people over for dinner. Yeah, they actually got, come around. You right. Know I mean? <laughs> well, you kind of have to. You yeah. got you, you to make plans yes, here. Where in New York, you could just sort of like, all right, I'll take the train down. But so what What are you hoping, what to you would be a great, opportunity or obviously you've had plenty but what do you want to do uh, as an actor as an actor um gosh that's tough i mean um uh I've, there's a couple of projects that i'm attached to like independent movies um that that i independent films are harder and harder to uh to do to get off the ground mm -hmm. And um, um, for me, they're they're more interesting in that they're going to ask you to do something that you haven't done before. Whereas, in the you know the big the big movie stuff, they generally ask you to do something that you've you've done before, and yeah. you try and find a different way of putting a spin on it so it's fresh and that it, so it excites and interests you. But um, you know, our independent movies, I'd like to do some more independent movies. I haven't done enough of them lately. And lead roles. Yeah, I mean, lead roles, big roles, juicy roles. I yeah. mean, I, you know, my thing is, I say to my agents and managers all the time, you know, um, Ned Beatty won an Academy Award for one day's work on network. So there's no such thing, literally. And as, what as a day's work role. that was, yeah. dude. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Oh, I, just got, I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> Am I getting through to you? <laughs> <laughs> that was the greatest beat. You, you have meddled right. with the primal yeah. forces of nature. <laughs> Am I getting through to you? Yeah. What's crazy about that movie is because uh, I was talking to some of the people on the the kids on the movie about it on this and um, when we we're doing the promotion and stuff is it all came true prophecy. It all came true. I mean, the news media now is nuts. And he and it's, what was his name? Finch. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter Finch. Peter Finch yeah. was one of the great underappreciated British actors sure. until yeah. that. Was yeah. he, I wonder if he was a buddy with your pop. Uh, I don't think so. No. So generation. your dad lived long enough to see your work. Yes, absolutely. And right. and what was uh, what was the feedback? Um, I remember him coming to see the first play that I did. I, I mean, I think initially he he wasn't. He's prepared to be embarrassed and disappointed because he didn't think I, you know, I never exhibited any kind of interest in it. Yeah. And my mother had come and seen it and she said, you know, he's really very good. You went, well, you would say that is his mother. <laughs> yeah. And um, I went, I saw him after the play. And I never forget the look on his face. I mean, he just had this look of excitement, shock. Um, he was thrilled. 
And it was also, wow, we, you know, we're going to be able to connect in a completely new way. And he said, wow, you, you fucking got it, man. You fucking got it. And we start, we talked for the next three hours at dinner about the sort of the minutiae of the performance and yeah. about the interpretation, about the play, about the challenges of, of uh, you know, how do you express certain stuff? And, and I mean, it was great. I had a totally different conversation with him from that point onwards you know that's amazing yeah. man because like he probably was like that, that kid that kid yeah he, yeah he's gonna yeah. do it yeah you? and i surprised them <laughs> well, that's a beautiful uh, story man thanks for talking to me thank you god bless you that was touching that was great what a, I, I like talking to british people is that weird is that uh, i i don't you, you know i always you know, it takes a few minutes to sort of get the groove going, but what a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. And uh, as I, as you know, go to WTFPod.com, check my calendar. You can leave comments. We left the comment board. You can get the app. And, you know, if you get the free app and upgrade to the premium, you can stream all of them. On Thursday, Ben Montench is going to be here. He is the, uh, the keyboardist for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and uh, a great musician. And he just got a record out, and it was not. I like talking to musicians, but Tom Petty, are you fucking kidding me, man? But Ben Montinch was great. It was great to talk to him. I'm still sweating. I'm still sweating. And I think I, I think I ran like four hours ago. Boomer lives. 